Welcome to Now I See, a place where people share their eye-opening moments and how it changed the way they see themselves, their world, and their place in it. We hope you'll be encouraged and inspired by the stories you hear and challenged to see things in a whole new way, too. Sit back and enjoy this show that we've prepared especially with you in mind. I'm your host, Kit McCarty. Our special guest today is Misu Andrews. Welcome, Misu. Thank you so much, Kit. I'm glad to be here. Misu Andrews is an award-winning author known for these bestsellers, her breakout novel, Love Amid the Ashes, winner of the Evangelical Christian Publishers Association Book of the Year, Love's Sacred Song, Love in a Broken Vessel, Miriam in the Shadow of Jezebel, and most notably, Isaiah's Daughter, which earned her a Christie Award in Historical Fiction, the highest honor in Christian fiction. Pretty much a book every year since 2012. Good on you. Today she's going to give us a sneak peek at the upcoming release of the highly anticipated novel, Potiphar's Wife. You might be noticing a theme here. Misu takes people of the Bible, some hidden in the shadows, and some just plain shady, and thrusts them into the spotlight through her beautifully crafted stories, rich with details of the scriptures, ancient cultures, and her great big imagination. Misu and her husband, Roy, live in the Appalachian Mountains. She loves Jesus, coffee, her dog, and time with her grandkids. Not necessarily in that order. Misu, I see you as a woman who is not afraid of hard work, or putting yourself out there on the printed or digital page, as the case may be, or the hours of in-depth research and mental gymnastics it takes to keep all the facts and dates straight. I see you as a lover of truth and justice and a champion of grace, especially for women who have been misunderstood. How do you see yourself? Oh, my. Um, You see me a whole lot different than I do. Uh, I still see myself as the little frumpy girl from Indiana that's, you know, (laughs) yeah, grew up in the middle of cornfields and barefoot and um, yeah, so that image of me is still very hard at 58 to get over. Um, And, uh, you know, it's funny, I was just talking to a friend this, this afternoon Um, And that, that drive to do it right, that drive to, it has to be perfect, that draw, that's a really hard thing to get out of us, isn't it? Um, So yeah, I think, um, I'm not sure how that ever leaves us. Uh, And so the Lord and I have been working on that this last six months, especially, but um, I, I, I think it's still hard for me. This is, people laugh when I tell them this, but it's still hard for me to call myself an author uh, after you know twelve books in twelve years. It's still hard. It's a it's a funny thing how we see ourselves and um, how other people see us. So, well, you came to writing late, or have you always been a writer? No, 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 no. Um, in fact, I I would never have guessed in a million years that I would write a book. Uh, even one. I I was an off the charts extrovert and um, did not have time to sit down and write a paragraph, let alone a book. <laughs> uh, I I loved speaking and I would I traveled all over and did lots of women's events and just thrived on that. And I did a one in particular topics called Sacred Love, Sacred Dance, where I told a story about the Song of Songs. 
And um, I did have lots of people say, we, we need this book. We need it in a book so we can take it home and understand and remember what you've said. And so that was actually what started my writing journey is I just wanted to write that as a Bible study slash fiction study. Um, and that was kind of in the days before there was such a thing. And so I went to my first writer's conference trying to publish something that nobody wanted to publish because they had no idea what that even looked like. So um, yeah, it, to write a book and then, and I just didn't have time to sit down and actually write the book until 2002 when I got sick and was in bed for six months. So, um, and then I was just bursting, needed something to do and some way to get God's word out of me because I could no longer go and travel and speak and teach. And so I, that's when I wrote my first book. Wow. So, and you started with such a bang because like right out of the gate, you're winning a big award, a breakout novel like that. That's amazing. Well, I can see that uh, your farm girl shows up in your girls of agriculture. So I see that you bring a lot of your personal knowledge there. I'm also unseen because it seems to me like you're saying that you really didn't come to yourself. You really felt unseen maybe in some of those early years. And then your recent pain and, and what a beautiful um, collision of all of those things as as you work through those ideas and you work them out in your words. Um, I think that really gives you a unique perspective on each of your characters who in some way, shape or form has picked up on one of those themes. Uh, would you say that's true? That you're really writing about you a lot of times when you're writing about your characters? Honestly, I think all the characters have a little bit of me in them. You know, I, yeah, absolutely. Um, some good, some bad, you know, uh, some of them all have that little bit of, of the old self, the old creation. Um, and hopefully some have a little of the new creation or who I long to be um, in, in that forming of Christ in me. Um, but I, and, and that first book was about Job and Dinah and um, Jacob's daughter who had gone through that rape in Shechem and then Job who just suffered and suffered. And, you know, when I, when I started doing the research on Job, I, I had gotten to a point, it was after the six months in bed, it was after two weeks at Mayo Clinic, it was after, you know, we'd gotten on some medication to kind of get some things under control. And I, I had a, a nugget of a life. I was back to, you know, at least surviving and, and, and I was writing, I wasn't speaking anymore too much, not traveling much. I was writing though. I was productive. I felt good about life again. And I had to go back and revisit what it was to be sick and not know why. And that was that book. And that was the book that, that won that award because it was my journey. And I had two critique partners that wouldn't let me just say, oh, because God let it, let him go through that. And it all turned out fine. No, 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 no. They wouldn't let me do that. I had to dig deep and go back into the suffering that I'd been through and I had to, you know, it was one of those, you know, you had to cut yourself and just bleed on the keyboard because 
it, they wouldn't let me just give the easy answers. And, and I think that's why that book did win the award was just because it, it was bearing the soul. It was just bearing the soul. Well, so. in anticipation of this interview, I, I am rereading that book and I'm right at that point. So thank you for letting us um, sit in the lament and the loss and the grief. I think as um, Americans and Western culture, we just don't do that. We escape that and we don't fully appreciate the benefits of lingering in a moment to consider what it is that we've lost and who we want to be um, when we come out of it. And when you get stripped of everything that seems important to you when you have to figure out who you are and where you go from here. Um, I, that is, that's good work. That's just good work. And it's good for us to go through that. And so um, I'm thinking of that in my own life as I'm reading yours and now to know your backstory. And that just makes this book even dearer. Now I can't wait to see <laughs> how your story in that aligns as I finish the book. Like I said, I'm about halfway through. So how did you come to love scripture? How did I come to live scripture? Ooh, I like that question. Ooh, well-framed. Um, so I, you know, I call myself a spiritual mutt. Uh, my mom is charismatic. My dad was a Quaker. Uh, both of my dad's mom and dad, his parents were ordained ministers in the Pilgrim Holiness Church and then became ordained in the Nazarene Church. And um, I was messed up. Uh, as a kid, because, you know, in my household, scripture was used as a weapon. Um, they would take a verse from here, a verse from there, and then fight about it. And, and honestly, by the time I was 13, I just didn't want anything to do with the church or God or the Bible or any of that. And by the time I was 16, I was an alcoholic. And so um, I just, yeah, really, really was not interested in the whole God thing. Um, and so by the time I was 18, um, 19, I had been dating a guy for about five years. He, I thought we were getting married. He decided not a good idea. So the week after that breakup, I went out on a date with a guy that I'd known in high school. We were good friends. He was not a believer all through school. He'd been to church twice in his whole life, got kicked out both times. And, uh, yeah, so we went out on a date with our good friends from high school and my best friend said, oh, but I do need to tell you something. He went down to a Christian college on a basketball scholarship and I've heard he got religion, but he's back because the scholarship dried up. And I said, oh, don't worry about it. I've been around religious people my whole life. Not a problem. Well, he shows we're going to a football game. He showed up in a tie and I'm like, oh, oh, what did those Baptist do to you down there. I am so sorry for you. And then he acted so different that night that when he asked me out for a second day, I just, I agreed just because I thought he can't pull that off again. Well, then he did it again. And I asked, and, and he asked me for a third date. And I, I, I went out again with him thinking, no way. Well, he did it again. And so by about three weeks, you know, he led me to the Lord and it wasn't because he talked about it. It was because I saw the change in him and the way he led me to the Lord was with Genesis 315. It was not John 316. He showed me that Jesus 
was in Genesis 3.15. And he showed me that that crimson thread of Jesus Christ ran all the way through the Bible. And he explained to me that scripture wasn't meant to be picked apart one verse at a time, but that it was a love story written to me and that I was in it. I was a part of God's word. And so when you ask me, Kit, how do I live scripture? I live it because it was a love letter written to me. And so it is mine. It was meant for me. And, and that's why, at least at this point, I don't know that I'll ever write New Testament because so many people misunderstand the Old Testament and they think God is a God of wrath in the Old Testament and he's a God of love in the New Testament. And I don't, I, I, that's not true. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he is a God of love in the Old Testament as much as he is in the New Testament. And so, you know, when we talk about these characters that I pick out, um, they are very much uh, in the shadows and shadowy characters, like you had mentioned, we talked about. Um, and and I, I choose them for, for a reason. Wow, I love that so much. And I love how, um, how you've picked up that scarlet thread and you've carried it through your stories. Uh, so many of these women uh, come to find saving grace, not because they're preached at or, or judged and so they're shamed into believing, but they come because somebody showed them grace relentlessly over and over again, God's grace and God's forgiveness. And, and you certainly do champion that story in your stories. So um, you've, got a, you've got a dozen novels out here um, and you, and you um, have written on so many different people in so many different time frames. Is there one that was a surprise to you or one that was especially fun? You know, um, honestly, the one that was fun, <laughs> I'll say fun, was um, Miriam was really fun. And it's such a familiar story because it's the Exodus. It's, you know, it's 10 commandments that, you know, Charlton Heston that I grew up with. Um, and it, so it's such a familiar story. So that part of it was easy, but it also was difficult because it is so familiar and people think they know that story, but the part of it that made it so fun for me was my mom was the same age, she was 86, the same age as Miriam, when I was writing that. And so I was able to talk with mom and say, well, how would you feel if blah, 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 blah. And so mom kind of was my, my echo as I was writing it. And, and that was a joy to be able to work with her and, and chat with her. Um, and, and Miriam gets a boyfriend in the, in the book. I'm just going to tell you right now, Miriam gets a boyfriend. So that was really fun. And my mother was appalled at that whole thing, but that just made it all the more fun, you know? Um, uh, but the other part of it was what, that was really, really interesting and kind of a surprise. Like you said, um, I found a research book that was written by a scientist and he was a Christian. And he said, these are the scientific ways that the miracles 
could have been explained by the Egyptian magicians. And they would have known these sciences, these, these reasons, these physical reasons, and they would have tried to explain to Pharaoh, these are the scientific reasons that this is happening. And the thing that struck me about that is, you know, God always allows, I think, he always allows a choice for us. We always have a choice to choose faith. You can believe and, and show your mustard seed of faith, or you cannot believe. You can say, no, it was just, it was science, or it was coincidence, or it was fill in the blank. It was something else. We can always find an excuse that's not God. And, and that's what a lot of people choose to do. They, they choose not to believe it was God. Mm-hmm. Then and but, now, we haven't changed much in 4,000 years, have we? <laughs> and I think that was that was my surprise mm-hmm. in that book. I thought I knew all about the Exodus because I've been watching the Ten Commandments since I was six years old, mm-hmm. right? But there was, there was so much about that story that was surprising. And honestly, giving Miriam a boyfriend was one of the surprises. I just thought that was a lot of fun. I was going to ask you uh, how often the characters wrote themselves once you get started, or if you started with kind of an idea in your head, did they kind of write themselves? They always write themselves. I, I do start. Yeah. And, and I kind of am a hybrid, you know, um, in fiction, we call ourselves either pantsers or plotters, you know, some of us plot things out and think we know how the story's going to go. And then Others are called pantsers where we write by the seat of our pants, right? And I I think I'm a hybrid. I try to plot and I have an idea and you have to plot with biblical fiction because you've got biblical fiction. You got the truth that you have to stick with in, or at least I do. I'm never going to go against scripture. Um, And then I've got, that's my foundation. Then I've got historical fact and fact is kind of a, mm, that's kind of an iffy term when, when we're talking about such ancient history, because scholars disagree so often. And, and we've always got conflicting facts um, when, when we're talking about that kind of historical research. Um, but you've got those as building blocks that we put kind of on top of that truth of scripture. And then I just kind of sprinkle in the fiction to kind of hold it all together like mortar. Um, and then, so that fiction sometimes is going to shift according to how the character really does write itself. And so what I've plotted never turns out the way I've plotted it. It just doesn't. And the character just kind of goes off in their own little direction. And I'm like, whoa, I never thought you were going to do that. So, yeah. And again, art imitates life because life never turns out the way we think it should either, does it? Oh, I'm, I am so glad that you uh, incorporated your mother's perspective into that. Uh, there are things that I know now at my age that I didn't know 20 years ago. And so to ask somebody who is in a similar age with a similar perspective, I'm sure proves so helpful. I mean, we can only know what we know when we sit down to write. And I love that you were willing to not only do the research, but then to also ask modern day women in a 
similar circumstance, how they might have responded. Listeners, we're going to take a break and we'll be back in just a moment with our guest today, Misu Andrews. Like the characters in Misu's books, each of us is writing our own stories as time goes by, never really knowing where the next adventure will take us, or which of the other people we will encounter that will change us for good or ill, for now or forever. Has any of our lives gone according to script? Certainly not mine. Nor last week's guest, Patty Azka, of Stars Over Texas and the military people she honors with quilts of valor. Nor next week's guest, Donna McGrew, as she tells the unexpected horror she experienced that changed her life forever. Your faithful listenership, your ratings and reviews on our podcast sites, your comments on our social links at Now I See Pod, and your visits to our site at nis.media has helped shape our content and focus in the first year and encouraged us in the new direction we're taking by changing up our weekly format tweaking our newsletters, and inviting us to launch our monthly Bible study. I'm so glad we're in this together. Now, back to our podcast and more from our award-winning storyteller, Misu Andrews. And we are back with our guest, Misu Andrews. So we left off talking about how you get inspirations for your stories, and it has been so much fun. Um, what lessons have you learned as you've been digging into these characters? What lessons has writing taught you? You know, um, I think I think one of the most important lessons that I I learn every day, as well as in my writing, is God's word is alive, and it it teaches me something new every single day. So whether I've read a, a scripture a, a bajillion times, I don't care how much I've read it, I can read it again every morning and, and I see something new. And it's that way with these characters. It doesn't matter how many times that I've read about these characters. I, I'm writing about Joseph in Potiphar's wife. How many, how many hundreds of times have you read that Potiphar's wife comes after Joseph and lies about but man, what I've learned about her. And, and here's the thing, if, if a woman's name, or even if she's unnamed in scripture, the fact that that woman is mentioned in scripture, that means she's important enough for God to put in his permanent record. And I believe that means her life and her story has something to teach us. And so for me, that just really, really inspires me to do more research and to do some digging. And when I get into some of the rabbinic literature or, or other ancient sacred texts, whatever, and I find these characters that we have in our, in our scripture that we have truth about, capital T truth, but there's also historical little F fact about elsewhere, that's so fun for me to see that others in the world have these legends and these stories about the real people that God included in his truth. 
So I love that. And I think that they, I think they deserve to, to have a little more um, time and attention in the Christian faith. So that's, that's what I've learned. God's always got something new to teach me about these people. And what I love about that is these people whose scripture doesn't name you make come alive because you give them names and you help us relate to them. You know, I've often wondered, why don't we know Mrs. Noah's name? Uh, you know, <laughs> there are a lot of women that I thought you're important in history. Why do we not know your name? So I am really excited about reading that book when it comes out. So um, tell us more about that book. What, why did you choose her? And, um, you know, what, what did you learn as a result? You know, um, I, I really, I chose Joseph and that's what I tend to do. I tend to choose the, the male characters that are famous, that everybody knows, and then find out about these women that, that are orbiting around them and talk about who are the women that were important in these men's lives. And so I, I wrote about Leah, um, because she was important in his early life. Now, everybody writes about Rachel or everybody knows about Rachel, right? Because she was the favorite. But what about Leah? So she was the one that I wrote about in that. Now, Potiphar's wife, oh, who wants to write about her? But the thing that struck me about her, and it's the first sentence in this book, and it says, a slave doesn't always wear chains nor does a master possess all power. Oh, let's go. That's good. That's how the book starts. And I, I, I want to set the stage because Joseph, the slave, he, he comes off. He's not, as, he's not as enslaved in this book as Potiphar's wife is. And so that's, that's the context that we're going to meet her in. She's a princess. She comes from the Isle of Crete and her island is almost destroyed by an earthquake. And she comes to Egypt thinking that she's going to become Pharaoh's next wife. And Pharaoh doesn't want her. And he passes her off to his captain of the bodyguard. And so here's this princess who's given up her life. She's going to be queen. And she's passed off to an old bachelor soldier who never wanted to be married in the first place. And she is stuck. She's stuck in a life she never wanted and with a man who never wanted her. And, and what, what does she do now? And how many of us have felt stuck in our lives in a circumstance that, uh, yeah. And, and what's the difference between Joseph, who is equally stuck, and a princess who has everything? I mean, she, she is wealthy. She's beautiful. She's but equally stuck. Yeah. And as a woman, she doesn't have access. She can't leave. She can't go anywhere. So yeah, it's a different kind. It's a different kind of stuck. Different kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But they, their characters are very different as well. Wow. And, and how they deal with being stuck is incredibly different. So 
Wow. Well, and I think some of the best stories in human history happen somewhere between reality and expectation. And so I love that you are building this story and that divine tension uh, that either makes us bitter people or better people. And I can't wait to get my hands on this book. So how can people find it? They can visit me at misuandrews.com. That's the easiest way. There is a web, a separate web page for each of my books. You can find out about the books. I've also got a new uh, feature on the website. It's called Fact or Fiction. And you can go to that page. And I, I think I've got three pages, uh, maybe four. Each book, it, it tells you which parts of the book are fact and which parts of the book are fiction and which ones are truth from scripture. So that's that's been a fun addition to the website too. And you spell my name, M-E-S-U-Andrews.com. That's the easiest place to find me. And I'm assuming people can get in touch with you at that same address? Absolutely. Yep. Contact form on there. Okay. Well, uh, we will include that information in our show notes so people can catch you later in case they're listening and they don't have an opportunity to write that down. So as we close out our show today, is there anything you'd like people to see more clearly as a result of our conversation? I just want to remind you that, you know, I write biblical fiction, which I think is an oxymoron. I like saying biblical novel because the Bible is truth. When you read my book, I hope that it sends you straight to the truth. Mm, thank you so much. This has been a great conversation. I've enjoyed it so much. Let's do this again. <laughs> your next book, let's do it again. Thank you. Thank you. I'm wishing you a whole lot of success on your next venture. Thanks so much. Thanks, Kit. Mm -hmm. We'll see you again. We're so glad you were able to join us for today's compelling story. You can find out more about our guest today by reading our show notes or visiting our website, nis.media. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Special thanks to the team at Headset Radio for their technical expertise and to Becky Salazar for our bumper music. See you next week.